It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Okay, can you believe this Nirvana baby story? I'm sure you've heard about this. The whole thing is just a riot. So back in 1991, the rock group Nirvana, when we used to call them albums, had an album cover that showed a naked baby in a swimming pool seemed to be staring at an underwater dollar bill. Very iconic image over the years. Now, 99.999% of people in the world have no idea who this baby is until now because the baby is now 30 years old. Uh, His name is Spencer Eldon, and he's filed a suit in California saying that Nirvana has committed uh, its child pornography and its sexual exploitation and its image, image trafficking, and he wants a bunch of money. But if he hadn't filed the suit, who would know who the baby was? I mean, it was just not exactly... Baby was never interviewed, as far as I know. Uh, it just shows, goes to show you, uh, I don't know how he would even collect these damages, but he has suffered lifelong damages as a result of this album cover. All right. Now, um, new details are emerging about the deal that Rachel Maddow cut with MSNBC. Now, originally, there was this leak, obviously, from her camp, I presume, that she was getting tired of the nightly grind and she might want to move on and start her own company and do her own podcasts and things like that. And she might not re-sign with MSNBC. She's a top-rated host there, obviously a liberal icon, primetime host. Um, and then about a week after that, lo and behold, she does sign with MSNBC. And a lot of people, including me, who had indicated that I know her well enough to know that she probably is after 12 years tired of doing the same show every night, and wanted and and has talked over the years about the value of fam- family time. So everybody said, ah, you know, her agent was saying, hey, nice little primetime show you got here. Uh, be ashamed if anything happened to it. Give us more money. Okay, so now the, the new details coming from the Wall Street Journal, the Daily Beast, and elsewhere are a that Rachel Maddow will be paid thirty million dollars a year to stay with MSNBC through the twenty twenty four election. Since so let me do the math here, carry the one, $90 million over the next three years. Maybe before it was only $28 million a year. Okay, look, I mean, she deserves it if the company's willing to pay her that kind of money. But here's the thing. She gets to get paid more, work less, and B, her 9 p.m. Eastern show will end next spring, spring of 2022. So why would MSNBC pay her this jaw-dropping amount of money if she's going to give up the show anyway? Well, she's going to have a weekly show, plus she's going to do all kinds of other things, streaming, podcast, uh, video projects, and so forth. So great deal for Rachel. I uh, have to congratulate her on that. Uh, still a bit of a difficulty for MSNBC, which has to find somebody to put into that 9 p.m. slot. It's probably the crucial slot in prime time. Some would say eight because it sets up the whole evening lineup. Um, and she gets to hang out more, right? Uh, it's kind of like a Howard Stern deal. All right, moving right along. Spike Lee, I like some of his movies, but Spike Lee gets such a pass from the media uh, for being kind of a left-wing lunatic compared to what a similar person on the right would get. So the filmmaker has this um, new series coming out on HBO, uh, looking back at 9-11, okay? And he just posted something. Oh, HBO put out a statement 
uh, attributing it to Spike. I'm back in the editing room and looking at the eighth and final chapter of New York City Epicenter's 9-11 to 2021 and a half and a half. Uh, I respectfully ask that you hold your judgment until you see the final cut. So here's what happened. Uh, I guess preview episodes were put out to TV critics because that's the way it's done. And people write about it and then you kind of tune in or get an HBO subscription. But in the final episode of this thing, Spike Lee interviews a bunch of 9-11 truthers, people who believe that the government was behind it or that it was an inside job. It was not Osama bin Laden. No, that's just a myth. Um, Slate, writing about this, said it's surreal, it's demoralizing, it presents, quote, the truth behind 9-11 as an open debate between two equally valid sides. Yeah, the truth, which was, you know, 19 hijackers, most of them from Saudi Arabia, and the wildest conspiracy theories, which then, of course, would get this platform on HBO. So the backlash, I guess, has had some impact. Spike says he's re-editing it. Why interview these people in the first place? The whole thing just strikes me as utterly bizarre. Also, in media news, ESPN has now, it seems to be in the process of dumping Rachel Nichols. Now, you remember this story? Rachel Nichols uh, hosted at ESPN. She was the lead NBA commentator. She had a show called The Jump, a daily show for the last five years. And what happened is, uh, what was leaked to the New York Times was a private conversation that Rachel Nichols was having that she never intended to be for public consumption. So she, in my view, totally got screwed here. In which she made some remarks about a colleague, Maria Taylor, African-American colleague, uh, who was kind of encroaching on her territory. And then what she said wasn't horrible. She just said, look, ESPN is so uh, obsessed with diversity that things that I should be doing that are in my contract are instead going to Maria Taylor. She didn't say Maria Taylor was a terrible person. She just said, in the name of diversity, I'm losing out. So then this goes public. Maria Taylor's all pissed off, won't accept her apology. So what does ESPN do? It offers Maria Taylor $3 million a year to, to re-sign. Speaking of re-upping, uh, she walks and joins NBC. And now, the final chapter here, ESPN has taken away Rachel Nichols' show, The Jump, uh, and basically says she's not going to have much of a role in covering basketball at all. I mean, she made a lot of news on that show, didn't have great ratings, which I'm sure is part of it. But why is she bear the entire brunt of this when she was, in effect, surreptitiously recorded? Now, it wasn't one of these things where somebody set out to eavesdrop. She didn't know the recorder was on and all of that. But it just seems to me that I would have no doubt that she would probably be parting company with ESPN soon. And it seems to me she got a raw deal. You may disagree. All right, time to get down to the serious business of the buzz meter. Number one. The situation in Afghanistan. So it's kind of taking a dark turn right now. You have the U.S. Embassy in Kabul warning Americans, this is last night, to avoid traveling to the Kabul airport because of security threats and said anybody who's already at the airport should leave immediately. Okay, if you're at the airport in that chaotic scene, see these pictures on TV, it just looks like um, people packed together in the most... uh, dehumanizing conditions you can think of. Of course they want to leave immediately. And the news this morning of an explosion outside the airport confirmed by the Pentagon shows these were not empty threats. 
this was early reports say a suicide bomber. I don't have any information on casualties right now, uh, but the explosion took place at the main entryway or one of the main entryways to the Kabul airport. Uh, how many people, how many Americans, how many Afghan allies are going to feel safe going to the airport now that we have explosives going off and maybe more to come? Meanwhile, because of these threats, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Denmark are all stopping their airlifts out of the airport. Australia and Britain have issued comparable warnings, saying Afghanistan is facing a high threat of a terrorist attack. President Biden talked about uh, ISIS-K, which I guess is an affiliate of ISIS, which we had all thought was kind of vanquished. Um, and so the, the rate of evacuations is slowing down. Uh, in the past 24 hours, it's been about 13,000 people. Well, that's pretty good, but in the previous uh, two 24-hour periods, it was 21,000 and 19,000. So I don't see, in the face of these threats, how the Americans, not to mention our Afghan allies who sacrifice so much, can even get to the airport. Now you have the U.S. Embassy telling them not to come. But, of course, the clock is ticking. Uh, next Tuesday, August 31st, is supposed to be the final day where not only are any uh, remaining Americans need to be evacuated, but the entire U.S. military, the remaining thousands of troops that were sent back there by Biden to get our people out, have to be out as well. And Biden is declining to challenge the agreement. Well, this probably sheds some light on the president's decision uh, if the terrorist threat is increasing. But, but, you know, talk about a catch-22 in this whole debate with Jen Psaki of whether they're stranded. Do you think they feel stranded now? What other word would you use? The embassy is telling them not to come. So if you if you live in another, if you're an American visiting another part of Afghanistan and you and you feel like the journey is too dangerous, and now the embassy is telling you not to come, you could well be stuck there forever. And who knows what will happen then? I mean, these 24 California students who went to Afghanistan this summer, who does that? Given the situation there, uh, but my, I have great sympathy for everybody. It's clear that some people are going to be left behind, particularly Afghans. I don't know how many more. Americans are there. Tony Blinken at a news conference in which he was challenged aggressively by Andrew Mitchell and others said about 1,500 different numbers are floating around. I'm not sure anybody absolutely knows for sure. Meanwhile, New York Times has a piece about how the Republican Party is divided, not over Biden's handling of Afghanistan. Uh, obviously, he's unified the GOP in that front. But what to do about the Afghan refugees? Because remember, once they are able to get these Afghans, remember, these are translators, security people, people work closely with journalists, people work closely with our troops, uh, risk their lives, risk the lives of their families. And then a number of them have gotten out. Tens of thousands have gotten out, apparently. But there are, by various estimates, a whole lot more, maybe up to maybe 250,000. So they need some place to go. Now, various countries around the world are taking them. In fact, a slight digression here. Mexico agreed to speed up its processing to get um, some New York Times journalists out of the country. So here you have the U.S. State Department. Oh, this is an emergency. We're doing everything we can. But the paperwork, because they have to be vetted and everything, you know, is 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 a killer. It's literally a killer because if you can't get the all the special visa, you can't get out. And if you don't get out maybe even by now, but certainly by next Tuesday, you may never get out from under Taliban rule. But Mexico said, you know what, we'll speed this up, we'll do it in a day, 
after the New York Times appealed to Mexico, the Mexican president intervened. The Times issued a statement of thanks, and its people were able to get out. I think they're working on a similar escape route for uh, folks from the Wall Street Journal. In any event, back to the refugee issue, um, you have Donald Trump and Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy trying to use the issue of Afghan refugees uh, to fold it into, in effect, the conservative wing's um, opposition to immigrants. Now, I've got to be careful here because on the one hand, we're talking about illegal immigrants that has become such a flashpoint at the border, which has been such a mess for the Biden administration, and it can't all be blamed on Trump, clearly. Uh, at the same time, uh, the, the, the Afghans who would come are not illegal immigrants. They are people who our U.S. government has decided to rescue other world governments around, uh, governments around the world as well. So uh, McCarthy uh, said last week uh, on a call, we'll have terrorists coming across the border, according to two people who are on the call. Uh, in fact, says the Times, Afghan evacuees fleeing the Taliban are subject to extensive background checks by intelligence officials. Uh, a lengthy and complex process, which is, of course, part of the problem. Now, Trump put out a statement on Tuesday saying that these unvetted Afghans, as he put it, getting on these military flights would include an unknown number of terrorists. Um, he criticized the evacuation of also of vetted Afghans, saying military planes should have been full of Americans. Now, I can understand the argument if you've got a limited number of seats, Americans should go first. But I've also seen, saw a picture yesterday of a plane taking off about six people on it. Well, he's empty seats, so obviously there aren't enough Americans that can get to the airport and get out to fill some of these flights. So it's just an absolute cluster F. It's just an absolute disaster. There's just no other way to put it. I know a lot of people, uh, liberals who side with President Biden, are saying, look, it was always going to be messy. He inherited this. All that may be true, but the way in which uh, he said he's pulling out the military and then we go back in to get American civilians, not to mention Afghan allies, has been an absolute fiasco. He owns this. He owns it as a political issue. He owns it as a moral issue. I noticed that the president and Tony Blinken in his news conference yesterday are talking more with more empathy. And this is just heartbreaking, particularly when discussing Afghan allies. He's, they've seen the pictures. They know about the violence. I think they got a lot of backlash for kind of just treating this as a numbers problem. And I don't have any doubt that they're being sincere in saying this, but it is just... Oh, one more thing on this. Eric Prince, you remember him from Blackwater, uh, a contractor during the Iraq war that ended up uh, a bunch of several Blackwater employees were convicted. This is seven years ago of murdering over a dozen unarmed Iraqi civilians. Well, Eric Prince is offering to charter flights out of Afghanistan, get some people out, according to the Wall Street Journal, and charging $6,500 per passenger, which includes uh, the, in that price, you get to, uh, passage to the airport. Now, Jen Psaki at her briefing went off on this, and I'm with her on this one. Boy, I don't think any human being who has a heart and soul, she says, would support efforts to profit off people's agony and pain as they're trying to depart a country and fearing for their lives. Amen. Absolutely. Ditto. And yet, Eric Prince is doing this. The guy's a billionaire. He doesn't need to charge $6,000. He, he, it's not like he's trying to eke out a living. It's just horrible. All right, number two. Turning to COVID, 152,000 new cases yesterday. 
Uh, Washington Post is an interesting piece about Republicans not quite knowing what to do about private companies now issuing vaccine mandates in the wake of the FDA finally belatedly um, giving final approval, not this emergency approval, to the Pfizer vaccine. Presumably other vaccines will get that approval as well. So, you know, it's pretty clear Florida, Texas, places like that with, with Republican governors are absolutely opposed to government vaccine mandates. But what do you do now since the FDA action has been sort of a trigger, not just for the Pentagon to speed up its timetable, but for all of these private companies, um, United Airlines, CVS, the list goes on and on and on, to say, hey, you want to work here. I think in the case of United, if you don't take the vaccine, you got to pay $200 a month. In fact, you're fined. And so it's clearly a dividing the party. So, for example, in South Dakota, Republican Governor Kristi Noem has come out against vaccine mandates, uh, but she's not opposing private companies issuing their own mandates, saying she doesn't want to get on a slippery slope toward excessive government regulation of business. She came on Instagram yesterday or Tuesday and said that proposal to somebody in the legislature is not conservative. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. So, And she accused uh, the Republican legislators behind it of chasing headlines. By the way, if any politicians um, had to go to jail for chasing headlines, we don't have enough jail cells. Um, but I think it's a problem because the philosophy of the Republican Party has always been too much government, heavy-handed regulation, uh, let the states uh, do what they need to do, let the cities need to do what they need to do, and most of all, let private business do what they need to do. So now that you have private businesses deciding, hey, it's just good business for us to do this, um, in New Hampshire, Republican Governor Chris Sununu says he believes private companies have the choice to require vaccination. Mitch McConnell said the other day, businesses, as well as school boards, should be allowed to mandate vaccines. But there are others who are not in favor of that. Uh, in Florida, you had uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, intervening, using the power of the state government, to stop cruise lines from having vaccine mandates. And I read the other day that at least one person died on a cruise, which is extremely sad. And I imagine there might be others. Speaking of Florida... This is a sad milestone. More people in Florida are now catching the coronavirus, being hospitalized and dying of COVID-19 than at any previous point in the pandemic. We're no longer saying, oh, you know, it's gotten pretty bad, but it's not as bad as it was last January. It's not as bad as it was in 2020. This week alone, according to this New York Times piece, 227 deaths from the virus each day on average in Florida a record for the state, by far the most in the USA right now. Uh, the average for new known cases reached a daily average of 23,000 over the weekend, 30% higher than the previous peak in Florida back in January. A doctor at uh, a hospital system in Jacksonville is quoted as saying that more of the patients who are coming in, and I know you've heard this, tend to be younger and have fewer other health issues, but of those who have died, including, uh, this doctor says, uh, patients ranging in age from their 20s to their 40s, more than 90% unvaccinated. Unvaccinated. Further proof, as if any were needed, to get these shots. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, let's move on to number three. 
So you remember the Kraken lawsuits. This was Sidney Powell. Uh, she was for a time representing President Trump. And Lynn Wood, very famous attorney in Atlanta who became um, a huge proponent of the whole stolen election claim. Well, a federal judge in Michigan has now ordered that these two, Wood and Powell and seven other lawyers, who filed a suit to overturn the election results, the 2020 results in the state of Michigan, be disciplined. This judge, uh, district judge named Linda Parker, wrote in this opinion that this, their actions were a historic and profound abuse of the judicial process. The case was never about fraud, she wrote. It was about undermining the people's faith in our democracy and debasing the judicial process to do so. So she ordered the lawyers, obviously this can be appealed, to pay attorney's fees for their opponents, which would be the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan. She also was requiring them to attend legal education classes. I mean, these are veteran attorneys. And she's referring these lawyers, Lynn Woods, Cindy Powell, and the others, to a state agency and a, a, a disciplinary committee where they could lose their law licenses. They could be disbarred. Rudy has already lost his law license in New York, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, he's challenging that. And here's one more from the judge's uh, opinion. Plaintiff's counsel's politically motivated accusations, allegations, and gamesmanship may be protected by the First Amendment when posted on Twitter, shared on Telegram, or repeated on television. The nation's courts, however, are reserved for hearing legitimate causes of action. And one more note on this, the, the, the House's January 6th committee, the almost all Democratic committee, has... Um, put out its first requests for lots of records from federal agencies, making clear that Donald Trump's actions and those that dealt with him is a major part of their investigation. Um, the chairman, Benny Thompson, um, made clear that uh, he wants not only, you know, trying to piece together the protesters, the rioters, what happened on January 6th, but the former president's knowledge of the election results and what he communicated to the American people about the election. So we'll be hearing a lot more about that. All right, story number four. Uh, I write today about the California recall on foxnews.com. Uh, you know, I was just in California, as podcast fans know. And uh, as I may have mentioned yesterday, I was really struck by how almost nobody was talking about this recall, which is very bad news for Gavin Newsom, the Democratic incumbent, because he needs to get a majority, a majority plus one, in order to hang on to his job. And as I have written before, but the national media is suddenly waking up to this. New York Times and others, Washington Post, suddenly have these pieces. Oh, my God, Larry Elder could be the next governor of California. And it is, you know, part of the quirky recall process that if Newsom doesn't get a majority, the next highest finisher, uh, which at the moment is Larry Elder, is polling about 23% on average, um, African-American conservative, longtime radio talk show host, uh, with a whole history of provocative statements. But man, the way, you know, it's all it's all fair game. You know, who wants to be governor, he's going to be vetted. But the, the assault by, on the press, which of course helps him with Republican voters, New York Times, how did Larry Elder become a front runner in California's governor's race? Well, if you've been paying attention, you know how. Also, Farhad Manju in the New York Times is a column saying Elder's a liberal nightmare whose record is so far beyond the California mainstream that he functions as a one-man cattle prod for energizing the Democratic base. The LA Times is just on a tear. There's one piece titled, Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. You've been warned. 
Another LA Times headline, Larry Elder talks a lot. Too bad you can't believe anything he says. Another LA Times headline, if Larry Elder is elected, life will get harder for black and Latino Californians. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. I mentioned in the column, and I have an update on this, that uh, Larry Elder's former fiance and radio producer, Alexandra Dadig, uh, who it's very California because she was once part of Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss's network, uh, she told Politico that he had brandished a gun and threatened her life, and she was terrified, and she broke it off. Well, yesterday, Alexandra Dadig filed a police report with the LAPD. A lot of details about this incident, alleged incident, which Larry Elder denies, that he waved this gun and threatened her. She also says in this police complaint that he uh, pushed her in the hallway by an upstairs bedroom saying, I don't want you. His behavior constantly made her feel threatened. Uh, also um, pressured her to have unwanted sexual activity and an open relationship. He denies all this. She obviously has some axe to grind. The events, the alleged events, took place six years ago. So she's just filing the police report. Now, obviously, she doesn't want him to become governor, um, so you can take that with a grain of salt. But the fact that the police have gotten involved, because before it was just her giving an interview. So that is turning into a fascinating election. And number five, you know the site OnlyFans? So OnlyFans, it's kind of like the Substack model, although it's video, I guess. And if you're really into a certain person, celebrity subject, you can pay, you know, $5 a month or whatever the fee might be in order to have special access to this person. Maybe they, um, you're the only people, only subscribers can can read what they write or see their videos. But the, the site has become defined by uh, everything from sexually provocative stuff to porn. Um, and there's been a lot of stories written in the press about how uh, women who are struggling, sometimes single mothers or others, uh, are able to earn a pretty good living by selling their videos, selling their pictures on OnlyFans and attracting enough people who are willing to pay for that uh, to pay the rent, to put their kid through college, whatever it is. So OnlyFans um, caused an uproar about a week ago by saying, okay, enough of this. We're banning all sexually explicit content. And there were all of these people, I guess not only women, but largely women. And by the way, this isn't the only thing OnlyFans does. I mean, lots of celebrities are on OnlyFans. But it became the, the identity of the website. And they said, we're the ones, um, here's one person uh, who does this, uh, who was quoted as saying, sex workers built this website. They've made a ton of money off us just to kick us off. Tory. Sex worker, single mother of two, told the HuffPost. I feel used, and I feel for the people who, unlike me, don't have a full-time job, who solely rely on OnlyFans. This is a slap in the face. So OnlyFans was saying, you know, it's really not our fault because we're trying to get money from banks, and the banks don't want to lend us any more money uh, unless we get the sexual stuff off of there. It was only founded in 2016, and a surge in population during the pandemic because, you know, what else were people going to do? supposedly has 130 million registered users and 2 million content creators. Uh, putting it mildly, the company is best known for its adult-oriented subscription pages, although independent artists, musicians, fitness trainers also provide digital content and services. Well, 
Now, under this kind of pressure, OnlyFans has done a flip. It's done a 180. It says, okay, okay, we're not kicking anybody off. We're not banning uh, anything that's sexually explicit. The CEO, Tim Stokely, telling Financial Times that it was unfair treatment by banks that was behind our plan. We had no choice in the matter, he said. We didn't make this policy change to make it easier to find investors, he said. He said he'd absolutely welcome sexually explicit content back to the, back to the site if banks changed their minds. I think this interview was just before OnlyFans reversed its position. So I'm sorry, I'm not really buying this. Um, you know, this was a thriving company. And to just say, oh, you know, we don't really want to do this, but these cold-hearted bankers are saying they'll cut us off. No, they were trying to get more money from the banks to become even more profitable. There was a huge backlash that took a public relations black eye. I guess, you know, I mean, people want, you know, it's free enterprise. People want to earn a living doing this, whether it's X-rated, R-rated, or G-rated. But it was the X-rated people, or maybe the R-rated people too, uh, who would suddenly lose their livelihood or lose a very lucrative sideline. It's actually kind of an ingenious idea. Uh, it's similar to Substack and the whole concept of why not, if you're a super fan, so to speak, and you're willing to pay money for whatever it is, you're, you're into fitness and there's a fit, special fitness instructor that you like or you love a certain musician uh, who takes requests online or whatever it is, you pay a small sum of money, enough people pay a small sum of money, and these people get to add to their income or even make a living. American Ingenuity uh, is back. <laughs> Uh, probably because of the pandemic when a lot of people, you know, felt they couldn't really leave their homes. So kind of dependent on the screens, as we all were, as our kids were for learning from school, as so many people who work from home were on the endless Zoom calls. And if we ever get out of this Delta variant surge, uh, maybe we can become a little less dependent on these screens. Well, once again, always appreciate you listening to the podcast. We'd also appreciate if you'd subscribe. You can leave a comment at Apple iNews or you can go on your Amazon device or Google Podcasts or Spotify. And we're back here tomorrow with more buzz. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 